the Dragonlance Nexus is proud to present the Dragonlance Canticle. Greetings, friends and fellow companions, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Dragonlance Canticle, fresh from a swim in the river of time. My name is Megan, and with me, I am joined by my good friend and co-collaborator. Hi, this is uh, Ed McKeel. Uh, I've been with the Nexus, the Dragonlance Nexus for a while now, uh, and I've worked with Megan on a few different projects, but the one that we're going to talk about this evening, I think, is the most exciting. Yeah, so we're doing... A kind of chat about the experience of creating original Dragonlance 5e adventures, um, either whether it's campaigns or whether it's um, shorter adventures, just sort of what, you know, we all have played or read or experienced sort of the classic Dragonlance adventures from first edition through third edition. Um, a lot of us have played in them or run them or even just read them or being part of the community, you kind of absorb, you absorb these adventures into your collective memory. Um, but we wanted to talk about what is it like in 2023, fifth edition, creating new and original Dragonlance content, either for publication or um, for streaming or to play with your own, just to play with your own group. It, it has definitely been, we went through a quite a several year dry spell of no Dragonlance content. So uh, we are entering, I feel like a new age for Dragonlance. And so just kind of doubling down on what you just said, we have new content, we have new stories being told and it doesn't have to always, you know, revolve around those in fellows and, and the things that we've read in books. And there are stories out there that you can tell or play at the gaming table or virtually that will be great for your party or or whoever. Yeah, it's just huge world with so much to explore. Um, so much history, so many characters, so many different lands, even continents. Um, so really any kind of idea you have for a campaign, I think that you can make it, you can realize it within the Dragonlance setting. Before we go into that though, we I do just wanna mention that as of this recording, so this is, August 3rd, 2023, that we're talking. Dragons of Fate, the second novel of the um, of the new Dragonlance trilogy has just been released. And we are all at the Dragonlance Nexus still in the process of reading it. So what we're gonna be doing is probably at the end of August, maybe at the beginning of September, we're gonna, uh, I'm gonna try to get as many people from the Dragonlance Nexus together as I can to chat about, uh, to chat about the new book, what we liked, what we didn't like, what we're hoping for in the next one. and um, just to kind of uh, share our thoughts, share our experiences reading it. And that is going to be a probably a spoilerific discussion, um, but we won't, uh, there'll be spoiler warnings ahead of time, so don't worry. But that's coming in the future. We just want a chance for not only us to read it, but anybody who's uh, potentially going to be listening to the episode to, to already have read it as well. So look for that on the horizon. I got mine in the mail yesterday and I'm excited to start reading and I haven't had a chance yet. Mostly because I have a little toddler running around my house that makes it a little difficult to read, so I'm gonna have to carve out time for my day. So I'm, but I'm very excited. Um, I did like the first novel. Uh, obviously, when you introduce new characters, you have to like feel them out. And I know Destina Rosethorn was one of those. Do I like her? But you know, you saw her grow through the through the book, and I feel like we'll see that maturity come through into the second novel. And I'm excited to read it. Yeah, I am too. Um, and that's actually kind of kind of dovetail a little bit nicely into what we're about to talk about, because 
as we know, dragons of destiny and dragons of, no, dragons of deceit and dragons of uh, fate are involved with time travel. And if anybody, well, I apologize. I'm going to, I'm going to spoil the very end of dragons of deceit right now. Um, so cover your ears if you haven't read it, but we know that the uh, dragons of deceit ends with Destina, Tasselhoff, Raceland, and Sturm having been sent back in time to the, uh, the third dragon war. And you and I have actually experienced the third dragon war together because oh, you did. recently you recently ran your Dragons on the River of Time campaign, um, a fifth edition Dragonlance campaign uh, involving time travel. And I got to be a guest player in your campaign during that particular segment of the adventure when uh, the heroes were had traveled back in time to the third Dragon War. So uh, I feel like you and I both have some special insights into framing a story within that context and the kind of characters that you might meet. Yeah, I, I, we did, and yours was a Salamnic Knight, um, who I thought was great. And and the whole point of kind of, so for me, what I love about Dragonlance is it's not, a lot of people will say, oh, it's high fantasy, it reminds me of kind of like Lord of the Rings to a degree, da-da-da-da-da, but it... it so it definitely focuses on romance and things like that and 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 these morality battles and, and good against evil and the pendulum swinging this way and that way. But when we got to the Legends trilogy, we started talking about time travel. And that has been a theme of Dragonlance for since, what, uh, late 80s, early 90s, right? Uh, and so I believe what, what's beautiful about time travel is you get to you get to go using the device of time journeying or perhaps another way to, to time travel, you get to go to all the different ages of Kryn. And there's a lot going on because Tracy and Margaret and the other authors who worked on Dragonlance really did a good job of, of showing us all the different things that happen. You've got the King Priest, you've got obviously the Third Dragon War. Uh, it, it just goes farther and deeper and, and how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? And so when you started in our campaign, we were actually in the probably the back third of it. Uh, it didn't it ended just maybe a few months after you left the campaign, just a few sessions after that. It was it was nuts because we were kind of banding about the, the thought of the Nexus needs to run an online game. We were a little bit behind the power curve. This was about 2020. So three years ago and the before before time. Before COVID. It was a whole know. different era. whole different <laughs> era of gaming. <laughs> before COVID and then also before uh, I had it, my son came along. So I had a lot more free time on my hands. And so I was nuts. And I had just fit. I had finished. I had run a long D, uh, Dragonlance campaign. I had done a Pathfinder version of the Age of Mortals campaign 3.5. I had updated a Pathfinder. And if you're interested in Pathfinder Dragonlance, there's a whole conversion document that I worked on on the Dragonlance Nexus. Uh, and it's first edition Pathfinder, not second edition. <clears throat> but anyway, I had time on my hands and I had about, uh, I think, about a year off from being a, a, a DM or a GM, however you want to say it. And so all the people from the Nexus are like, we should get together a game. We'll do it once a month. It'll be great. Who wants to do it? And nobody raised their hand. And I was like, you know what? I'll do that thing. A and hero so, stepped forward from the mist. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I have more gray hairs from running this game. <laughs> but uh, we started, and so it took me, I think I started prepping for the game around spring of 2020. And our first session was June of 2020. 
Uh, and if you're interested in watching all of our sessions, they are recorded and on our YouTube page. Just look, just Dragonlance Nexus, and you'll see the different sessions that are on there. They're split up between the videos and then the live videos, because a lot of the time we did it live, and a couple other times we did pre-recorded. So regardless, when I was prepping for this game, I was like, okay, so we're going to do a Dragonlance campaign. I did not want to run a module because I thought, well, pretty much all of the members of the Nexus are in their own right somewhat masters of Dragonlance lore. And they've been gaming in Dragonlance since the 80s or the 90s or whatever, <clears throat> longer than I have. And so I was like, well, we're going to do this original. And I had not, of course, I had run modules and things like that, but I had not run an original game like just just writing it and running the game probably in 15 years. So I was like, all right, well, we're going to do the writing chops. Now, to be fair, I did utilize um, a little bit of the of the module that you can find in the Legend of the Twins 3.5 book from Margaret Weiss Productions that talks about the anvil of time. But I mostly borrowed things from there uh, and made it my own, less running it exactly it was in the book. But anyway... The beauty of it is I wanted to take this game and run this campaign for these uber Dragonlance nerds that would take them not just War of the Lance, but it would take them to the time of the Age of Might with the King Priest. That would take them to the to the second Dragon War, or sorry, the third Dragon War where Huma is, is going to defeat Tachesis. Um, I actually, what was sad is I had uh, a longer plan for for this to to that we were actually going to go into the uh the age of mortals but being that we had found out that dragonlance was coming back and the age of mortals was a little bit in that weird spot where we didn't know what was going on it didn't it didn't end up we ended up having to shorten the campaign a bit so we ended up doing about 22 sessions i think we started our characters at first level and then i think they ended up finishing around ninth or tenth but what I did is I wrote a treatment kind of explaining, okay, we'll start uh, the beginning of this campaign will be right after a couple months after the Blue Ladies War in Palanthus, where people, the themes of those first few sessions will be recovery and rebuilding. And then from there, they would end up kind of being recruited by a certain someone who was working in the at the Anvil of Time, who was kind of a side character, but he'd been in the Anvil of Time, uh, the journeyman, who had been in several of the novels, who was a noted time traveler uh, that was uh, edited by Tracy. And so the journeyman was kind of their de facto leader in sending them on missions. And so from there, they would go to the Age of Might, where they were the 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 themes of that part of the campaign were intolerance, xenophobia. We all know what the king priest did and why they, you know, threw the the gods through the fiery mountain down. And then we would also then go to the age of dreams, uh, and that is of course where Megan's character came in as an embattled Salamnic knight, mm -hmm. and that was at the point in time where, you know, before Huma defeated Tachesis the Salamic Knights were losing the war. If you've read the Legend of Human novel, uh, it was an ugly war. It lasted for a while. Uh, and then, you know, we, we went to this whole finale uh, to, and, and so we had a main character who was, uh, her name was Pandora, the main antagonist. She was a, a tiefling sorcerer who 
basically was using the magic of chaos because she wanted to change time. And the whole thing was in the future, in her future, Tachesis had died. If you've, if you've read the War of Souls novels, her whole thing was we want to bring Tachesis back to life. Pandora <clears throat> was going around time and she was taking artifacts powerful artifacts that had been blessed by Tachesis. And that was part of her, the ritual that she was doing towards the end of the campaign was each of these artifacts contained a piece of her. And so she was utilizing the artifacts to bring back Tachesis through, through a, uh, another section of, of time things that is going on. I also, I'm not going to cross my eyes with my nerdness, but I really, <laughs> I really made Kryn feel like it's part of the cosmology. And I know a lot of Dragonlance fans don't like the fact that Kryn is part of a larger D&D universe. But I even referenced some of the other, you know, like in Dragon Magazine, where Dalimar ends up meeting with Elminster. And um, dang it, uh, who's the other arc wizard? Mordenkainen? Uh, uh, yeah, Mordenkainen. And he wrote a number of articles for Dragon on that. I directly discussed that, and I started also linking in and through, through a lot of the uh, what Wizards of the Coast has released is these strange obelisks that mm -hmm. have shown up in every D and D adventure. Well, that became part of this as well, uh, and so she was utilizing one of those obelisks to change time. Yeah, which have not actually been revealed what those obelisks do yet. I just kind of. Uh, I think they're going to reveal it in the new uh, the new Fandelver book when that comes out. I think so too, but I I went my own way with that, uh, <laughs> and we'll see if I was right. I I like the idea of a Dragonlance camp. Well, I like I like campaigns that kind of move from one not one setting to another, but where it's like one continuous campaign, but the characters are kind of moving around. I just finished running two. Um, long-term Ravenloft campaigns that kind of work oh, on wow. the same structure. Like you go from one domain to another, to another, to another. Mm -hmm. um, and, and each one is its own little story, but the, you right. know, the entire story is connected. And I feel like with all the, the different interesting eras of the Dragonlance setting that have been so well explored um, and so well detailed in like in game books and also in novels that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of material that you can work with there. If like somebody listening, if you want to have your group go, this kind of time spanning campaign where you go to different eras of time and even um like what if scenarios like if right. you uh go to the you know go to the to the age of mortals um or also like crin space like if you want to do like bring in some spell jammer stuff oh yeah i mentioned of some of that do. stuff as well spell jammer of, was, was mentioned yes um so there's a lot of stuff you can do and i find that um if you're a gm and you are let's say wanting to run a game for people and you want to really give them like the complete experience. Like um, if you want, like, let's say you're running a game for a group. They've never played Dragonlance. Maybe they're never going to play Dragonlance again. And you want to give them like the full scope of the setting rather than only focusing on the War of the Lance era. Then kind of jumping around to these different points in time is is really interesting because I think the history is is really rich and definitely the the third dragon war and definitely Istar and even even the age of despair like the setting for um the the time period in which uh war of the twins takes place right i think all of those settings are so different that you can really and then of course the age of mortals also you can really do 
completely different stories within those settings, either as their own stories as or strung together, like what you did, like string them together as as part of a of a campaign. So I think that's really creative. And I think that's a really good idea for anybody who's thinking about how to give their players, you know, the Dragonlance experience. Oh, I agree. And I, I will say this resources, there's plenty of resources, especially for like, you can find books uh, regarding the King Priest time frame, Age of Despair, as you mentioned, definitely the War of the Lands, Blue Ladies War, Age of Mortals. Let me tell you something about the third Dragon War. There are okay. no gaming books I had, well, that I could thought that I could find, or maybe I didn't look hard enough. I actually had to go and read some novels <laughs> and take some notes. Uh, I'll, I'd be happy to share. If yeah. What novel? Contact me in my notes uh, that I took. Uh, well, what? Yeah. So reach out to us if you want, if you want Ed's notes. Um, but what well, actually I was able to get notes from Weldon Chen, who is our oh, of course. resident lore expert. He has mm-hmm. this, this document that he was able to collect a lot of stuff and put together for just what was going on during humans war so i'll i'll leave that there but uh, maybe we could put that on the nexus because it's a it there a lot was going on and it, there aren't as many things written about it as some of the other time let us discuss um the other project that you and i collaborated on recently which is the dragonlance nexus's newest book which is shadow of the black rose we're going to talk about this in, in sort of two segments. The first, I'm going to do spoiler-free. Um, so anybody anybody listening can listen to this section of the discussion and not feel like you're going to have anything spoiled. There will be a, a... We will talk a little bit later with spoilers, but I'll give you a warning before we get to that part. So Shadow of the Black Rose, it's it's about... Has it been exactly a month since we put it up? I think it... Uh, I yes, think. I, I believe so. We uh, It has been 30 days. Uh, yeah. So it will be 31 tomorrow. Yeah, a yeah. month tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so that's been up for about a month, and we have reached Electrum status. So thank you. Anybody listening who bought a copy, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, thank you very much. Really excited. We've been, we've been the number one adventure on DMs Guild for the last month. Um, we were definitely, yeah, we were, we were up there for quite a while. We're still up there. We're still for, up in the top. Yeah, for a while we were number one. For like a day mm-hmm. or two we were number one. And then for I feel like it was more than a day, but yeah, go ahead. And for a good while, we were in the top five. I think we're number 11 now, but we're still the highest ranked adventure. Everything everything that's above us is like um, supplements or like uh, like got, like setting books or supplements or whatever. We're the highest. We're still the number one adventure. So I still take pride in that. A lot of them are VTT right now in the top, you know, DMs Guild because they've been releasing that. Uh, mm-hmm. but we are also, if you look in the Dragonlance area... We're number one, number one in the Dragonlands area for everything. Number one with a bullet. Awesome. <laughs> so Shadow of the Black Rose is an adventure that is designed for characters between uh, level 11 and level 13. So it's kind, of a, it's kind of a higher level adventure. In a nutshell, the concept is your group is recruited to travel to Dargard Keep uh, this is sorry. This is set during the War of the Lance. I guess you could set it immediately. You could set it after if you wanted to, but um, it's set during the War of the Lance. It's kind of like a side story. Um, but your group uh, is tasked with traveling to Dargard Keep and defeating Lord Soth on his home turf once and for all. So the adventure basically includes uh, it includes this uh, a complete adventure that you can run 
with Shadow of the Dragon Queen, or you can run it as a as just a standalone adventure. It'll probably take like three or four sessions, I think, um, for most groups to complete it. And it has it includes maps for uh, it, it includes complete maps for every level of Zargar Keep, um, and also variant maps. So if you want to just if you want to take um, if you want to use Dargar Keep in your own adventure, if you don't want to play the adventure, but you just want to use these maps of Dargar Keep, um, there are variants as well that you can use that just stand alone as a representation of the keep itself. We had a lot of people contributed to this project, um, and a lot of people that were really excited about. So we had uh, James Louder wrote our wrote the foreword to the book. Um, those and of you that was great of him. He's awesome. Yes, yes, a million thank yous to James Louder because that was. That was a huge deal for us, and that was a huge deal for me personally. Because I remember reading reading *Night of the Black Rose*, his Ravenloft novel about um, about Lord Soth, and then also later *Spectre of the Black Rose*. I remember reading those books when I was like, you know, when I was a kid, and and absolutely loving them. I mean, those books were a huge part of why you know why Lord Soth is in my own like gaming, in my own writing. Lord Soth keeps coming up over and over again. And those books, those novels are a big part of what inspired that love for the character. And to have him writing, to have him writing the foreword to something that I had written, I mean, that was, it, it's still a little mind boggling, you know, it's like it. I agree. And, and honestly, he was just a pleasure to interact with. He's just a very humble, nice guy. Um, I was very surprised because, you know, sometimes you put your, your literary heroes on pedestals you may or may not be disappointed. I was not. I was. I was very impressed. He's very professional. He was very well spoken and nice. Uh, all of the communication we had with him um, was great, and and he was very complimentary to us uh, in that forward. And I mean, he took. You know, he didn't. He didn't get any payment for for this. He he was just nice enough to write us a forward. Mm-hmm. I was. Uh, I can only express my gratitude. Uh, Mr. Louder, you, you say Jim, I'll just I'll just call you Mr. Louder. If you do listen to this, thank you so very much. We actually did some I I had the very good fortune to interview him on the podcast um a few months ago. So if you go back and listen, you can hear my two-part interview with him all about Lord Soth. And yeah, he is he is just a wealth of information and he taught me he taught me a ton of stuff. So oh, yeah. um it was an amazing experience working with him. I hope I'll get to work with him um again in the future. Um, and we had our favorite artist did the cover art, of course, uh, Elena, Elena. Dambelli, Elena Dambelli, also, uh, Green, Green Adara art. You can find her online. She is a, she did, uh, the cover art for Shadow of the Black Rose. She also did the cover art and a lot of the interior art for Tasselhoff's Patches of Everything. And she is hugely talented. We are so fortunate that she's doing the covers for our books. She should be doing the covers for, you know, Wizards of the Coast books. And, and I yeah. think she will be soon. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I foresee great things for her. You know what's mm-hmm. funny is, and uh, I'll keep this short, but when we were when we were doing Tassel House Pouches of Everything, when we started working on that back in 2020, 2021, I saw this random piece of art that she had done, which was Tasselhoff stealing money out of, you know, Soth's pocket. And I was like, this is... This is everything that we need to be on a cover because it's light, it's fun, and we can totally base a book on this. And so we did. Um, and since then, she has just produced some... She is very passionate. She loves Dragonlance, and she's produced just great art. 
in uh, obviously in Taz's pouches and and uh, moving forward here with the cover for Soth and some of the other books we'll be working on in the future. So I love Elena. She is from Italy um, and she's great. She's lighthearted. She's she's just an awesome lady to work with. Uh, and so shout out to her at Green Adara Art. You can find her on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, she actually does commissions for folks wanting to put their D&D characters in, into a piece of art. Uh, so if you are interested and you like her art, she's definitely worth using in her. She, she's fair priced. So mm-hmm. Say that. Uh, and that, that cover that she did for Shadow of the Black Rose, I, I know there's a lot of great Lord Soth art out there, but the one she did is, is my personal favorite. It's amazing. It's so like intense. It's like dark and bright at the same time and super evocative. And I just, when I look at that picture, I just like, I mean, it's, it's literally the wallpaper on my phone. I see it every time I open up my phone. That's how much I like it. I, I think it's probably the best modern depiction of Soth we have available. I mean, uh, you know, I love I read- the older stuff and, and those were classic and, and great and iconic, but this is, that cover is probably my favorite cover that we've done and, and probably one of my favorite covers ever. Yeah. Um, so the book, in, in addition to having the adventure and the maps for Dargard Keep, um, oh, there's a map of uh, a map of Nightland as well. The sort of region of Salamnia where where Soth lives. Um, Did a good job on that map. Thank you. <laughs> um, we also included a biography of Lord Soth, um, trying to use the game materials and uh, the novel materials to kind of create. I mean, there is. Um, I wrote an article about this for the Dragonlance Nexus recently, sort of about the challenges of um, of trying to bring all this different lore together to create a uh, to create a single narrative. And so we tried to present this biography of Lord Saw that was as true to the canon as we could. Of course, in your own adventure and in my adventure, we need to you know you sometimes have to deviate a little bit to make it make sense and to make it work right. in the story. Um, but we tried to give that biography as detailed as we could as well as a description of like his sort of his personality, like how he, like how to role play him and what he wants um, and sort of how he, how he might act in your campaign. Um, Cause I feel like he's a, I feel like he's kind of a, a different villain. He's not like the, I don't feel like he's the hyper sort of hyper aggressive, like yelling, snarling kind of villain that you get in a lot of things. He does not twist his mustaches. No. Yeah. He's very calm, very cold very brutal very complicated yeah complicated um and i also wanted to include some tactics for him i feel like one of the things that um a lot of game books for 5e lack is they'll give you a monster stat block but they'll not really tell you how to run the monster or how to run the enemy we put some of that in like tips on how you might run like how lord soth might behave in combat based on sort of his personality and his his training um, as well as layer actions, there's a stat block for Lord Soth that's in Shadow of the Dragon Queen, but it does not include any layer actions. Um, so we added some layer actions that you can use if you're facing Soth in Dargard Keep. So, um, Megan, one thing I feel like you haven't really hit on too much is that this can be a natural sequel to 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 that, right? Yes. So, yeah. So, Shadow of the Black Rose is designed to be a uh, to work as sort of an epilogue to Shadow of the Dragon Queen, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that more later because I don't want to. I, I wanted to save that for the spoilers. Not too much spoilers. I understand, <laughs> but I, I feel like it's a big point of why this is. It can, you know, 
the thought yeah. of some relevance to it. Yeah, so mm -hmm. it is it is designed to work as a direct sequel or a direct epilogue to Shadow of the Dragon Queen. So if you're playing Shadow of the Dragon Queen and you finish, you can go directly from that right into Shadow of the Black Rose. I mean, that's it's right there in the title. You know, they're supposed to be they're they're connected pieces. You can run this adventure separately, but it's really created. It was really created with uh, as a sequel or an epilogue in mind. And then people, I know people personally who were like, "Oh, cool! I wanted a sequel. Mm -hmm. I'm getting this." So yeah, um, we've also got a guide to uh, a guide. In addition to the map, we've got a guide to Nightland um, in there. So if you want to run a Dragonlance campaign or a Dragonlance adventure sort of in that Nightland region, which is sort of like the the scary part of Dragonlance, um, you can do so. Some, there's some adventure hooks that you can use. Yeah, there's a whole table there of things that you can do uh, that that you, Megan, wrote very well about. It doesn't have to, it could be on the way to getting there or if you just want to run side quests. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got some new monsters that we created, including uh, my personal favorite monsters that we created was the was specific stat blocks for the Darkguard Banshees. Oh yeah. Um, I feel like the Banshees, as they are written in the Monster Manual, are maybe not powerful enough to be like accompanying Lord Soth. I felt like his Banshees really needed to stand apart from your run-of-the-mill Banshee. Um, so just they're they are very similar to the Banshees, just tougher and with some more abilities. Um, and then we've also got seven new magic items. The artist who did the art for our magic items is somebody that I'm really excited about. His name is Matt Morrow, um, and he did a lot of art for um, the Shadow Dark RPG, which came out recently. He does like um, he does like the black and white line art that is, that was really good. I liked that art. Yeah, it's like it it kind of evokes like old school art, but it feels very modern as well. Um, so I think he's. Matt Morrow, I think he's definitely an artist. Him and Elena, I think, are both artists to watch because I think that they're gonna, we're gonna be seeing a lot more from both of them in the future. And I'm hoping to work with both of them in the future. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of the process, sort of how we how this came together, so that anybody who is listening that's thinking that they might want to create their own stuff, sort of what goes into it. So originally what I was doing is, so I was actually running a Ravenloft campaign set in Sithicus, which is Lord Soth's domain. And I realized that there weren't any maps of Dargard Keep that were really on the level of detail that I felt I needed for the virtual tabletop. So I decided to um, just start doing my own maps, uh, making my own maps using Incarnate uh, of Dargard Keep or, or Nedragard Keep as it's called in Sithicus. So I started working on those maps and I was like, you know, I've put so much time and effort into these maps. I wonder if there's an, I wonder if I could do like just an adventure, you know, do a dungeon crawl set using these maps as the basis. Um, and then when Shadow of the Dragon Queen came out and I read it and I saw the need for a, a sequel slash epilogue, then everything started clicking together. I was like, I've got these maps. I've got this sort of, I know Lord Soth, the character sort of inside and out from running this campaign. I felt like, you know, the stars had aligned to do to do this adventure. And I was really excited about the idea of doing, you know, Dargard Keep. It's like one of the iconic locations in Dragonlance. And to do my own, to create my own adventure set there with Lord Soth as sort of the villain of it. Like my own, my own sort of uh, Ravenloft in a way, you know, like the, the original <laughs> Ravenloft adventure. Yeah. Um, but set in Dragonlance and you know, the stars aligned and everybody at the Nexus was really supportive and helpful. So um, so I basically, I mean, you were there, 
the project kept getting bigger and bigger. Of course, but <laughs> that's how project, any project seven, is. <laughs> it's never going to be that starting idea you have. It's always going to balloon something, this larger thing, especially when you talk about trying to make this good for players. And then you get input from other people who are helping you and editing and et cetera. It, it, it's always, it starts with a kernel and mm-hmm. then it becomes the final idea after months of work, right? Yeah, what I wanted was I wanted this to be kind of the not only to be a great adventure, but to be like the sort of definitive source for fifth edition, you know, for Lord Soth in fifth edition. I wanted his life story, his personality, the land where he lived, his castle. I wanted to be like, this is the go to reference for anything, anything you need Lord Soth related. This book can be the go to reference for that. And so it's it's a lot more than just an adventure. I mean, that's that's the biggest chunk of it is the adventure, of course. But there's just a lot of material about Soth himself and about Nightland um, that I think anybody who's just interested in interested in the character, interested in the setting, could really uh, get a lot out of reading. And it was it was a huge amount of work. You know, writing writing an adventure. It's 50 pages long. Uh, writing an adventure that long that is intended to be read and used by other people is a very large undertaking. So I had kind of written up this whole adventure and then we sent it to Chuck who does our editing um, and he read it and he gave me um, a ton of really great suggestions. But to incorporate these suggestions, I sort of, I didn't have to start again from the beginning, but I basically had to rethink the entire adventure. Um, And that's, I mean, it's, it can be tough when you're, when you're writing an adventure, because you really need somebody who can look at it from the outside to do your editing um, to be like, you know, DMs aren't going to understand this. Players aren't going to understand this. This part doesn't make sense. This part should have this. You need more monsters here. This is repetitive. Like you really need somebody who can tell you that. You don't always see it when you're writing it, you know? So the difference is when you're, you know, Megan, you don't toot your horn very often, but you're basically a professional dungeon master or game master whatever you you run a lot of games and running a game is i mean don't get me wrong your a lot of planning goes into it a lot of work goes into it especially your whole personality goes into it because you're playing npcs and running combat and all that other thing i've just noticed that when you step away from being the dm and start writing an adventure it's like a different set of rules and so it can be very challenging it is. I mean, it's to 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 create adventures for yourself to run versus creating adventures for somebody else to run. On the surface, they might seem very similar. In practice, <laughs> they are very different. You like you have to use a completely different part of your brain to create something for someone else to read, and, and that's why you need people looking at it from the outside to see what you're missing. Um, and then, so uh, we had uh, Chuck did our editing. We did, uh, we did some more drafts to really get it ready to go. We went back and forth. Chuck and I went back and forth on this one thing. And I, I don't think that we ever came to a complete resolution. But I feel like Chuck wanted me to make it less difficult. And I wanted to make it more difficult. You guys met, met in the middle, I think. <laughs> I hope so. But that was did. like, I want... Oh, I want this to be, I want this final battle to be really hard. Um, I mean, I know you've run, you, you had, so you based this partially, off, obviously off running this for, for your own different groups, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously sometimes different groups can min-max or 
just be better players than someone who is just starting out. And so when you're running an adventure, you have to keep an even keel compared to if you're running an adventure for a group that you've had for years or people that you know to be almost professional D&D players right. uh, who know all the tricks and all the different subclass things that they can do that, that are just going to take the wind out of your sails when you're running encounters. I mean, I've done it myself. When I was, when I was running Dragons on the River of Time, I'm with players that they would breeze through my encounters. And so I would up it. And I would think, oh man, if I do this too much, I'm going to kill them. No, I think I, I think I knocked one or two players down less than a handful of times. Never killed anybody. So you almost killed, you almost killed Trampus when I was there. I did, but you know, <laughs> he played the gnome. He was the he was the uh, support character, um, not support character. He was a main character, but he was a support character, and sometimes he put himself in very hairy situations in melee and it was sometimes easier but yeah uh and so that's that's the thing it's like kind of trying to marry these two things of running a game and writing a game writing a, a, an adventure don't always equal out and you need the person like chuck to kind of be like hey hey this is too much hey hey okay this is not enough uh <laughs> the editing process is is you know you want to I know you want to pull your hair out. Okay. I've helped. I helped on Taz's pouches. I helped a little bit on champions of Kryn, other adventures that we've written. I'm helping now on the, on the new, uh, adventure slash source book. We're working now with Richard knack, the cat based on cast the Minotaur. And it's just a lot. Uh, so you did great. Yeah. Chuck did great. Too. His, his, uh, his, his, all his suggestions, all his suggestions made it better. Well, but you did great too. So it's it, you know, and, and you did great too because you were a, you were a crucial part of this process as well. So tell us. So uh, <laughs> I wrote it, Chuck edited it, and then you made it I, into I, a, I you made it into a book. <laughs> I did. So I I work on the layout, and so that doesn't seem like much sometimes. Uh, but you know, there's little flourishes here and there, and you want to make the pages to look pretty and stuff like that. And actually there's a couple times where you said, this doesn't look great. And you challenged me. And so I made it look better. And I feel like uh, a couple things here and there that I did that I hadn't done on the previous books. And I, I think the product looks prettier than it had. And some of the layering that we had done, I won't get too much into the nerdy side of layout using Adobe InDesign and Adobe Photoshop, but I'm proud of what we released. Um, we have a good book. Uh, and I think it, I think it looks professional. Um, and I, I'm happy that it's on the DMs Guild, and I'm and I'm proud that we've got another another great Dragonlance centered adventure that uh, people can enjoy. But and layout then, layout is challenging, and it took me took me a minute. But you know, you and I were there step by step. You know, I, you gave me the the room I needed to get the layout done, and then I would send you some stuff. And, said okay this 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 and so we made some changes here and there and and i think it, it turned out well it is difficult to to send your baby out for layout i gotta tell you that it's like sending my baby out in the world but what is it tell us about the so we're working you know on that when you send it to me it becomes my baby <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so keep that in mind <laughs> um so well I'm just our baby is currently uh, in the in the process of becoming a print-on-demand product. Oh, yeah. 
Um, so, so what is what is that like? What is that? What? Is, how does print on demand work on DMs? Guild? Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, if you have released anything on the DMs Guild, you basically can't put anything print on demand until you've had a product that at least hits the gold status. And so, gold status is five hundred and one sales. Okay. Uh, so we uh, hit the gold status with revised pouches, and I went through. Uh, I worked through the, basically what they do is you work through one bookshelf who, who owns the DMs Guild and has the, uh, that's the company, and they have a contract with Wizards, uh, Wizards of the Coast. <clears throat> and they have this list of things that you have to do for your PDF so it can be printed out into a book. And it's a laundry list of things, and you have to make sure the pictures all match, and they're at the right... DPI, if you know anything about Photoshop, and you have to make sure that the ink saturation levels isn't too high. And it's just this long thing. And so I worked with an excellent man named David Ruini, who was very patient with me because I just made mistake after mistake after mistake. It, the process to, <laughs> to get uh, Tassel House Pouches POD took almost a month, but we finally got her done. This, you know, for, for the... Uh, Shadow of the Black Rose, it's a little bit easier because I've done this before. Um, we plan to do a soft cover. Uh, I believe that is what we agreed upon, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we hope to have the soft cover available by the end of August, early September. And so what that means is I'll, you know, working with the approved layout designer from One Bookshelf, <clears throat> who is actually Phil Beckwith, if you know Phil, he, he's, he's worked on a number of other things on the DM skill. He's very talented. And so I'm working with him and we'll get that available and we'll work into it and we'll get it on POD. We'll get the proofs sent back to us. And once we get the proofs, everything looks fine. And then we, we open it up and people can purchase. Hopefully if it, if it takes, you know, if it's earlier than the end of the month, you will know. I promise we will blast it on social media, <laughs> but it takes a while. And so if you do plan on putting things on, on the DMs guild, I highly suggest that you go really deep. They have a number of videos that you can watch on YouTube and a number of how to's on their website. And I'm telling you, I spent hours and hours uh, and, and I'm no stranger to layout. I've done it professionally, uh, but not at this level. I did it for work. Uh, which is like newsletters and stuff like that. Uh, I did I did some when I was in the military. This was a lot more. I just say be patient, work through all of the instructions they give you, and you can get it done. Yeah, and I want to say to anybody listening who's thinking about you know who's interested in writing their own Dragonlance adventure or their own adventure of any sort for right. publishing on the DMs Guild. You know, nobody. You know, you can do it. <laughs> you know, like you don't need to be like. You don't need to have industry connections or be some, you know, established person. If you're just, if you're passionate and you're willing to put in the work um, and you're willing to collaborate with other people who are also passionate and willing to put in the work, you know, you can accomplish, you can accomplish more than you might ever think you would. I mean, I never thought I'd have an adventure like this, you know, published anywhere in my life, but here we go. I mean, here we are. So I think, you know, it's a great time to be an amateur or semi-professional, you know, writer publisher, game designer. So if you have any aspirations to do that, just go ahead and do it. Don't overthink it. Just go for it. 
I do. And and the DMs Guild actually does have resources for you to learn how to do it yourself through InDesign or even working just straight into a PDF through a page maker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they and they also have layout um, already designed layouts that you can purchase that will assist you so you don't have to do it yourself and to make your pages pretty. And you'll you'll notice that a lot of a lot of the products on there have as long as as long as you purchase and you attribute the person that worked on that design or things like that, even look, you don't have to have art that is being commissioned by people. You can use the stock art or you can use the art that's on one bookshelf or um, uh, drive through RPG or DMs guild. You can purchase that and have that license agreement and use it in your book. And it doesn't matter if that art has been reused as long as it looks good for what you're trying to portray in your adventure or in your source book a lot of those things are already done you can do that you can utilize it and put out your own product right um so with that let us switch over to uh, a little bit of spoiler talk um so if you're if you are a player who has uh who has not played shadow of the dragon queen um and you think that you might and you don't want spoilers for shadow of the dragon queen um, likewise, if you think you might play in Shadow of the Black Rose and you don't want any spoilers, this is where we say goodbye. Thank you for listening. Um, Peace out. Bye. <laughs> anybody who thinks, uh, anybody who's interested in running Shadow of the Black Rose um, or who has read Shadow of the Dragon Queen doesn't care about spoilers, um, this last little segment is for you. Um, so I just wanted to do kind of like a, a brief walkthrough of the adventure to kind of let you know what it's about, to let you know what you're getting if you want to go and buy it. So like we said, the idea is that it's sort of an epilogue to Shadow of the Dragon Queen, because at the end of Shadow of the Dragon Queen, in the last chapter, you confront Lord Soth in the Flying Citadel. Um, And the final conflict between Lord Soth is a little hand wavy. It's have you read it, Ed? Have you read that section of my spoiler? So I am playing through it and I have spoiling it for you. No, 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 no. It's okay. (laughs) I know about it. I know that it says it's probably better for your for your uh, players not to fight Soth because most likely he'll wipe the floor with them. Or, you know, the it it gives the the DM kind of the, the ability to kind of like you said, hand wave some things. So I'm I am familiar with that because the way Soth the way he's written up uh, after that big fight, it, it could be a TPK, right? Right. I mean, it could go a lot of different ways. It could it could be a t- if you're playing as a small group, um, or like you were saying earlier, with maybe players that aren't as experienced. Yeah, it could be a TPK because he's really tough. If you're playing with a large group of really experienced players, I think I think it's going to be the opposite. I think they're going to kill him. Oh, okay. Um, like I think if I mean you're supposed to be I think 11th level at that point, and I feel like if one of my 11th level groups. Um, especially one of the bigger ones that has like five or six players had fought him, I think they would have they would have destroyed him. And I think it would have been kind of kind of an underwhelming experience to just wipe the floor with him. But the book sort of gives you an out where you can get this magical item that basically neutralizes Soth so you don't have to fight him. And then when the Citadel starts to break apart, Soth just like plummets, you know, plummets to his quote unquote death and is never seen again. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so basically what they wanted to do is I mean they wanted to maintain the canon, you know, writing a campaign. They didn't, you know, they didn't want the group to, you know, if the group had killed Lord Soth in the adventure, if that's what was supposed to happen in the adventure, then everybody would have been like, well, how do you kill Lord Soth in the adventure? What about 
you know, what about uh, him teaming up with Kitiara? What about Blue Lady's War? What about this and that? Um, so I think that they, Lord Soth has, in addition to having his blackened and burned Knight of Salamnia armor, also has some plot armor um, within Shadow of the Dragon Queen. He so does, I- but I feel like it's not <laughs> that easy to kill a death knight. I feel like there's things that you have to do because he's, they are cursed individuals by the gods. Mm-hmm. It's not something, okay, you defeat them in combat. I feel like there's usually a little more, and you definitely go in, in this adventure, you go into what it takes to kill Soth, which is great. Yeah, so the idea was, okay, so Soth has, has, made, has either, either he's escaped or, uh, you know, you've neutralized him, but he can't be permanently defeated um, unless, by, unless through extreme measures. So that's kind of what Shadow of the Black Rose is. You go to Nair, you go to Dargard Keep to finish him off once and for all. Um, and the the conceit in the adventure is that Soth can only be permanently destroyed within his own within Dargard Keep, and that you need to use a special uh, special item in order to do it. I don't think that's that much of a conceit, especially considering that all of the novels and all of the things that have occurred have you know this is the place where he has to endure his torment every night. So the adventure is, if you play it as an epilogue to Shadow of the Dragon Queen, the idea is that Lord Gunthar, uh, from the famous Knight of Salamnia from the Chronicles trilogy, um, contacts your group after the Battle of Calaman and says, hey, you know, great job, but Lord Soth is still out there. Uh, we need you to go to Dargar Keep and finish him off once and for all, because he's still there. He's still got access to the Cataclysmic Fire. He's still using it to create death dragons. Um, this is not something we can ignore. This is something that needs to be dealt with. Um, and so you arrive in Dargard Keep, and he's actually not there when you arrive. Um, and the reason that he's not there is that he has gone to the abyss to uh, to speak with Tachesis. Um There is at the beginning of at the beginning of Dragons of the High Lord Skies, Soth goes to the abyss to meet with Tachesis, and she's like trying to convince him to join up with the army. And he, this is when he's like, "No, I'll only I'll only join up if one of your High Lords will, you know, can." me in combat or is willing to spend the night at Dargard Keep and that's how he that's how he teams up with Kitiara. Um so when the adventure takes place he is off in the abyss for his meeting with Tachesis. And so the idea in Shadow of the Dragon Queen is basically you need to lure him back to the keep so you can face him and defeat him once and for all. Um, and so you're exploring through the keep moving from level to level. The banshees are there so you have to you have to sort of figure out a way to neutralize the banshees before you can get to the top of the keep. Um, but which is where he has his, the last remnant of the cataclysmic fire is burning at the top of Dargard Keep. To get there and to extinguish the fire, you have to deal with the Banshees. But of course, there's the skeletal knights are guarding, uh, Soth's famous skeletal knights are guarding um, the tower as well, as well as a number of other undead creatures. Um, so it's meant to be kind of like a, uh, kind of like a dungeon crawl, kind of like a dungeon exploration. Basically, you have to figure out how to you have to figure out how to neutralize the cataclysmic fire and in doing so summon Lord Soth back so that you can defeat him. Um, and there are some NPCs that you can meet. Sir Caradoc is there and he's kind of like scheming for a way to overthrow Lord Soth. So he's like willing to help you out if you help him out. Lidara, the Banshee is there. She is the one who kind of like guides you along um, to tell you how to sort of advise you on how you can defeat Soth. And then we've got uh, Lori Wanwillow, the vampire Kender, is there as well, because she's my favorite character. You can sort of recruit her as an ally to help you fight Lord Soth, but she's a very dangerous ally because she's a vampire. Um, and she's just as likely to turn on your group as she is to help your group. So I think I feel like there's a lot of 
there's definitely a lot of good dungeon exploration. The, the keep is nine levels tall, so there's you know there's nine levels to the dungeon. Um, so it's got everything you need, all the sort of iconic places that you would expect to be in Lord Soth's keep are there. The only thing that I didn't include was the was the terrasque in the basement. Um, I felt <laughs> I'm glad you didn't include the terrasque in the basement. That, that one unfortunately had to go. Yeah, so there's sorry. no terrasque in the basement. You can, I guess, you can put a terrasque in the basement if you want. <laughs> it might, yeah, it might screw up your adventure a little bit, but you know. The map that you made for the basement doesn't have room for a terrasque. <laughs> I mean, not yeah. enough, not enough for a terrasque to be comfortably, but <laughs> you could maybe squish them in there somehow, but probably not. So yeah, you just you fight your way, you fight your way to the top of Dargard Keep, basically, and then. You get to the very top most, the roof of the keep where the cataclysmic fire is burning. You have to defeat uh, defeat a creature that's called the cataclysmic fire elemental. Um, basically a creature that is made up of all the anger and the, all the anger and rage and despair and grief of all the people that died in the cataclysm, sort of embodied in this living flame. Um, and then when you defeat him, that is your, that summons back Lord Soth. And then you have your final battle with Lord Soth and a Death Dragon at the same time. So it's challenging. It's that the last the the end of it is is difficult. I mean, you could make you could make the Death Dragon a lesser Death Dragon instead of a greater Death Dragon. That would make it a little easier. You could even make it a nightmare if you thought it was too difficult. Um, well, so that's the other thing is part of it is you know Soth has the Banshees. Soth has his retainers. So there's all types of other things going on there that you would have to do to make sure that they don't help during the battle. Right. So the idea is, so you need to neutralize Soth's minions before you can go face Soth himself. And also as you're exploring through the keep, there's, you can find like a lot of lore bits. So you can like see kind of the evidence of Soth's downfall. Um, like you can see where the chandelier was that fell, that burned down the keep. Uh, you can see the quarters where where his different knights lived. You, they have the... Um, the bedroom where his first wife died. It's sort of like taking a tour through the history of Lord Soth as you're exploring the keep. And you can find you can find like documents that were written during Soth's lifetime. And people sort of like talking about all the stuff that was going on during, you know, during Soth's last days. An adventure, it's a it's a history, it's a lot of exploration, plenty of role play. I I feel like it's a good mix of the three pillars of D D. Yeah. That's what I tried for. So yeah, that's that's Shadow of the Black Rose in a in a nutshell for anybody looking to read it. If you if you're curious about it and you're not sure, um, you haven't been sure to this point if you wanted to to buy it or if you wanted to run it, that's kind of that's what you're looking at. It's a thorough top to bottom exploration of Dargard Keep with the pen, with the ultimate goal being to battle Lord Soth to the death on the roof of Dargard Keep. Pretty epic, pretty epic stuff. It is. I think people have a lot of fun and you know, it's not something that we always see in Dragonlance campaigns when we talk about a little bit on the, on the terror or scary side. Um, and you do a good job of kind of painting a lot of uh, sauce atrocities and you actually get uh, one thing I did want to compliment you on is you give great instructions on making this to be a good adventure for the party. There might be aspects of what Soth has done or atrocities he's committed that might not work for some players. And you give great instructions on that. This could be tampered down or maybe you just leave this alone. So I think that was very, another good part of the book. Yeah, I mean, Soth's story is very dark. It's not going to be for all players. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of topics that his story touches on that 
are not going to be appropriate for all groups. So I tried to put in some advice to make it, you know, to make it work for your group. Um, I didn't want to shy away from the things that he did. You know, I didn't want to like whitewash or sanitize um, Soth's story, or at right. least I, di I didn't want to present it as this kind of safe, neutral story. I wanted to, I wanted to present it as this, you know, this dark, ugly thing that it was, and then leave it up to, leave it up to you, the dungeon master, to kind of make it fit for your personal group. If your group is okay with this dark material, then then you can incorporate it. If they if they don't want that stuff, then you can leave that stuff out, and it's, it'll still function as a, it'll still function as a enjoyable dungeon crawling experience. Well, I guess that is all we have for today. It so, is. It is. So thank you all very much for listening. Shadow of the Black Rose and uh, Tasselhoff's Pouches of Everything are both available right now on the DMs Guild. Shadow of the Black Rose will be available, like we said, print on demand at the end of August or beginning of September. Um, and we've got, do you want to uh, just mention briefly what we've got coming out on the horizon, Ed? Uh, so coming up on the DMs Guild, you'll be having the first... Um, few original Dragonlance modules put into 5e. Uh, it's going to be called Dragon or um, Autumn Twilight. Excuse me, not dragons, just Autumn Twilight. And um, I think it's going to be pretty fun. Uh, to You might be able to go to the DMs Guild and see other folks who have done this, but not in the world. Uh, and it links totally to, to some of the other books that we've done, like Tasselhoff's Pouches. Uh, and then the big book that will be coming out, hopefully that, so Autumn Twilight probably will be sometime in the early fall. And then late fall will be the um, the book that we're working with Richard Knack, who wrote The Legend of Huma and Kaz the Minotaur. Uh, and so this will be kind of the story of Kaz setting up the colony that will eventually become the Kaz Lottie. And so what this book is, is it's part source book, and the source book part is going to be everything you need to know to play a Minotaur on Kryn. And then it'll also be part adventure. And then the other part is um, Mr. Knack is writing a short story specifically for this that will take it through and kind of get you into that adventure part. Uh, so I don't think it's anything that's been done on the DMs Guild before. And Wizards of the Coast has given us some special dispensation in as far as this is between us, but we're going to be allowed to use some special artwork on the cover that harkens back to the old days. And I'll just leave it for that as the surprise. <laughs> and uh, we're all very, very excited. And of course, Richard has been a pleasure to work with, and we're still kind of pounding away on, on some of the subclasses that will be available and, and potentially some just, I'll keep it a surprise. But I think everybody, <laughs> if you like Minotaurs, this is definitely the book for you. Minotaurs and, and uh other than that, I think that's that's. Oh, oh, we also have some some books coming out early next year that will be for Champions of Crit. We're doing a source book that will go through the first two chapters that we've released, and then chapters three and four will also be coming out coming uh, earlier in twenty twenty four. I think that's all we have on the horizon for now. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll keep everybody updated. Um, follow us on Dragonlance Nexus on the follow the Dragonlance Nexus Facebook group. Um, follow us on Twitter at DL Nexus. Follow us on YouTube at Dragonlance Nexus. Follow us at, you can also read our blog, dragonlancenexus.com. And we will keep you all informed and updated about the projects that are coming out. But yeah, Shadow of the Black Rose, Tassel House Patches of Everything are super cool, really great books, really high quality. And I'm not just saying that because I worked, I wrote one and worked on another. They really are really excellent books. And we got a lot of other excellent books coming up in the future. So thank you all for listening. Thank you for reading. Thank you for supporting us. And we will see you again soon.
Thanks, Ed. Thanks. Long live the Lance. Good night, everybody.